And please turn with me in your Bibles now to Acts chapter 16. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, we are now considering the middle of three accounts in which we see the sovereign grace of Jesus uh, intersecting into the lives of individuals. Two weeks ago, we considered the conversion of Lydia, the way in which God sovereignly poured out his grace upon her to suddenly save her. This week, we consider this poor slave girl and the way in which God sovereignly intervenes into her life. And then, Lord willing, next week, we'll consider the same about the Philippian jailer. And these three stories, these three real events were selected by the Holy Spirit and arranged in this way for an important reason. And, Lord willing, next week, I'll, I'll talk about why these three are woven together in this way. But for this morning, we're going to focus our attention upon this slave girl. She has what we might call a double enslavement. She's in a miserable estate. And we see the way in which God sovereignly intervenes into her life so that she knows the grace of Jesus. We're going to see how Jesus uh, is so important to the lives of each and every individual that we read of here. Well, let's give our careful attention to the reading of God's holy word. This is Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 25. This is the word of God. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. In Matthew 16, Jesus asks his disciples, Who do others say that I am? Peter answers, saying, Some say Elijah. Some say John the Baptist. Others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus redirected that question to his disciples, saying, But who do you say that I am? Peter again answered, this time saying, You are the Christ the Son of the living God. Well, Jesus 
immediately rejoiced, saying, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, Jesus asked the question, Who do you say that I am? That is the most important question that you can ask and answer. Because how you answer this question impacts absolutely everything else. Everything depends upon Jesus. Everything hinges upon your relationship to him. Just think about the two kinds of answers given there in Matthew chapter 16. Some said that Jesus was John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Many people today and throughout the ages have said that Jesus is a good teacher, a good moral example, or just one of the many ways by which you can order your life. But there is a world of difference between any of those answers and the one that Peter gave. You are the Christ the Son of the living God. Everything depends upon how you answer that question. And when I say everything, that is not hyperbole. Everything is contingent upon your relationship to Christ. Everything hinges on how you relate to him. If you believe that Jesus is just one of the prophets or just a good moral example or just a good teacher, it will impact every aspect of your life in this world and every, every aspect of your life in the world to come. But then conversely, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, if you believe that he is the Savior of sinners, if you believe that he is the Messiah, it will impact every single aspect of your life in this world and everything about your eternity as well because everything depends upon Jesus. Everything depends upon what you believe about Jesus and the kind of relationship that you have with him here. You see, everyone has a relationship with Jesus. The pressing question is, what kind of a relationship do you have with Jesus? What do you believe about him? Here in our text today, we're going to see that Jesus has a relationship with absolutely everyone in the text. At first, we're going to see the way in which Jesus has a changed relationship with this poor slave girl. And then we'll go on to see the way in which Jesus relates to her owners and alongside her owners, the crowds and the magistrates. But then finally, we're going to see the way in which Jesus relates to two of his own, to Paul and Silas. And in each instance, we see that Jesus makes a difference for everyone. In each instance, we will see the way in which everything depends upon one's relationship to Christ. And so the question that is before you this morning, the question that the Holy Spirit brings to each of us today is, who do you say that I am? Jesus himself wants you and I to consider that question afresh this morning. What kind of a relationship do you have with the risen Christ? In Luke chapter 4, this was our call to worship this morning, Jesus goes into that synagogue in Nazareth. He's given the scroll of Isaiah by the attendant, and so he finds chapter 61, and he reads the first two verses. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When Jesus read those words, the text tells us that the eyes of everyone were upon him. Everything was absolutely silent, and the entire room was waiting to hear what Jesus would say. And then he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. With those words, Jesus was saying, this is who I am. So do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Do you believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God? Do you believe he is the anointed one of God? Do you believe that he came to set captives free? Do you believe that he came to give recovery of sight to those who are blind? Do you believe that he came to set at liberty those who are oppressed? Do you believe that he came to proclaim the Lord's favor? Do you believe these things today about Jesus? Well, let's consider these things as we see each of them unpacked in our text. Let's begin with the slave girl. As we look at her life as it is here recorded in the word of God, we see that she is incredibly blessed by Jesus. She is blessed by Jesus. As Paul and Silas were going to the place of prayer, they met this young slave girl. And this young, world, young woman is in a miserable estate. She suffers from what we might call a double enslavement. She is enslaved by her owners. To them, she is just a means of making money. She is a commodity to be bought and sold. This enslavement alone would be miserable enough. That would be a wretched estate if that were all, but that is not all. You see, she is also enslaved by an evil spirit. She is oppressed by this spirit by which she tells fortune. And it is by that spirit that that poor slave girl is a means of gain for her owners. Seeing her path cross with Paul and Silas helps us again to see another purpose for all of those closed doors that we considered earlier. The Lord Jesus Christ was sovereignly directing Paul and Silas to Philippi and this slave girl together so that their paths would cross to see the grace and mercy of Jesus put on display. Now I want you to put yourself in this girl's place. Think about her loneliness. At present, she has no family. She has no friends. Instead, her owners exploit her for their own selfish gain. She has consumers who don't see the person in front of, her, uh, in front of them, but instead they look past her or through her for the good they hope to gain from her. Think about her oppression. She was oppressed by her owners. Her life is not her own. She cannot come and go as she pleases. She is not employed by them. She is owned by them. And she is also oppressed by this evil spirit. Not only was her life not her own, but her mind and her mouth were not even her own. She is contending with the presence of an evil spirit within her. So she is oppressed both outwardly and inwardly. So imagine her emptiness. At one time, she was a valued person. She was seen, as, or seen by others as one made in the image of God. 
But now she is simply a service to be bought and sold. Her personhood is ignored and she is valued, not according to God's design, but according to the gain that she can bring to her owners. Think about her hopelessness. This is what her life has now been reduced to. Again, her personhood is ignored. Her life has been minimized to, be, to, to make money for others. She is exploited daily. And because she creates a great profit for her owners, there's really no hope that she will ever, ever be set free. She's hopeless. And this hopelessness has probably gone on for years, and there's nothing that quite compares with that overwhelming sense of having lost all hope. So imagine her despair. What happens to your soul when you are bought and sold every day? What does it do to your soul when you are dehumanized in that way? What sort of lasting impact does prolonged hopelessness have upon a young girl who sees the powerful and influential in her life either exploiting her or ignoring her. I imagine that she is unfeeling. I imagine that she is absolutely numb. But then we see Jesus makes all the difference. We see him sovereignly interceding into her life, showing compassion on this poor, hopeless slave girl. In God's good providence, he has powerfully directed Paul and Silas to Philippi so that they would come and cross paths with this young woman. Because of that evil spirit within her, she now follows Paul and Silas, and she is declaring, these are the servants of the Most High God. She is declaring with her mouth, that they proclaim to you the way of salvation. I really wonder what she made of those words. These words, the text tells us, came from that evil spirit, but they were coming out of her mouth. Did she understand them? And if she did, did a spark of hope flicker in the darkness of her soul? The text tells us that she did this for days. She followed them for days. She made these proclamations for days. She kept proclaiming this glorious reality. And over time, this provoked the Apostle Paul. The ESV says that Paul became greatly annoyed. But I appreciate the other translations that I think get the sense better when they say that Paul was grieved. He is grieved as they are followed by this oppressed girl. I believe Paul's probably grieved for two reasons. He, like Jesus, thinks it is inappropriate for an evil spirit to be declaring the glorious realities of Jesus Christ. Jesus forbid evil spirits from making similar announcements. But Paul's probably also greatly grieved because he sees the double enslavement of this poor girl. He sees that she is owned by men and that she is owned by this evil spirit. And so, being grieved by this situation, he turns to the evil spirit and he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. She is blessed by Jesus. In that very hour, that evil spirit comes out of her and suddenly this poor girl is free. Suddenly, she is no longer enslaved. Unexpectedly, she has been abundantly blessed by Jesus. 
She's no longer enslaved by that evil spirit. And because she's no longer, uh, no longer enslaved by that evil spirit, she has gloriously lost all value to her owners. She is free. And suddenly this now formerly slave girl knows the bounty of Jesus' riches poured out upon her. That spark in her soul has exploded and now it radiates with the glory of Jesus Christ. When Jesus read from the scroll of Isaiah, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And though Jesus is at this point in our text at the right hand of the Father on high, though he is in glory, he is through the Apostle Paul pouring out great blessing upon this girl. He is setting at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus orchestrates everything to bring the glorious good news of the gospel to bear upon this poor, helpless girl. And here we see Jesus' compassion, and here we see Jesus' power. So do you believe that Jesus is who he reveals himself to be in his word? Do you believe in Jesus' compassion for your life? Do you believe in Jesus' power for your life? Listen, you may be here this morning and you may not yet know Christ savingly. And if so, he is right now by his word revealing himself to you as gracious and merciful, as compassionate and powerful to save. So believe upon Jesus and experience that compassion for the forgiveness of your sins. Experience that power and be saved. You may also be here this morning and you do know Jesus savingly. But perhaps you are struggling with doubt and unbelief. You may know that Jesus has compassion for sinners. You may know that Jesus powerfully works within the lives of sinners, but you may be struggling with doubt and unbelief, wondering whether or not he would do so for you. Well, think of how similar you are to this poor slave girl this morning. You see, Jesus orchestrated everything to bring that good news of the gospel to bear upon her life. Well, you, like that slave girl, You right now are experiencing the fact that Jesus is orchestrating all things so that you will be here this morning to hear afresh of that good news of Jesus Christ. So that you will hear again that Jesus is compassionate and powerful. So that your faith this morning will be renewed and strengthened. Perhaps you're struggling with a besetting sin. Maybe there is a sin that you have struggled with for years and years and years and you are discouraged this morning. You don't have power or victory over sin and so you are doubting this morning the compassion and power of Jesus. Well, believe upon him as he reveals himself in his word. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. He promises to give rest for your soul. In Ephesians 1, Paul writes about the immeasurable greatness of Christ's power to those who believe. What kind of power is at work within the life of every believer? Well, there in Ephesians 1, Paul tells us that it is the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead. 
It is the very same power that exalted Jesus on high, where he is ruling and reigning over all things today. In God's good providence, you are here this morning so that you can hear again that Jesus is compassionate and powerful to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And his promise to every one of his own is that one day you will be fully and finally set free from all oppression of sin forever. You have experienced it now to a degree, and one day you will experience it in fullness. So remember Christ's compassion and his power. Everything changed for this girl because of Jesus. Everything hinged in her life upon this moment in which she met Jesus. She was unbelievably blessed by Jesus. But there's even more for us to see here in the text, so let's go on. How about her owners? What about them? They too have a kind of relationship with Jesus. Well, as we study them, we see that they were blind to Jesus. The risen Christ relates to everyone. Again, everyone here, everyone in this world right now has a kind of relationship with Jesus. Again, the question is, what kind of a relationship do you have with Jesus? We have seen the way in which Jesus wonderfully intervened into the life of this girl such that she now has a blessed relationship with Jesus. But what about her owners? Well, we see clearly that they are blinded to Jesus. The text itself highlights for us what her owners saw. These men then could clearly see. Physically, they can see. And yet... As we observe both what they saw and what they did not see, we are going to perceive that these men are spiritually blind. Their minds were blinded to the very real and obvious presence of Jesus. As we observe what was visible to them, we're going to see that Jesus' fingerprints are over everything. So what does it look like when one is spiritually blind? Consider for a moment everything that these men could have seen. First of all, they have the plain and powerful preaching of the gospel by the Apostle Paul. That's what Paul was there in Philippi to do. He was there to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And so these men had set before their eyes the proclamation of the King of Kings and the grace that is found in him. But they did not see it. Second, they had the testimony of the, of the evil spirit. And the testimony of the evil spirit is twofold. The evil spirit testified to anyone who was willing to hear that these men were truly servants of the Most High God. Even the enemies of God are making this declaration. They were also declaring that these men are actually proclaiming to you the way of salvation. This was right there before the owner's eyes, but they did not see it. 
Third, the authority of Jesus was on display over the evil spirit. The Apostle Paul looked upon that girl and spoke to the spirit, commanding the spirit to come out, and the spirit had to obey. And so the authority of King Jesus over everything is right there on display in front of them. But they do not see it. And then fourth, they see that servant girl powerfully set free from the oppression of that evil spirit because of the compassion and power of Jesus. Again, it is obvious for anyone who will simply see. But because their eyes are blinded, they do not see. There is so much for these men to see, so much of the compassion and power of King Jesus, so much testifying to the power of Paul's gospel proclamation and the present reign of King Jesus over everything. There is so much for these men to see. So notice what the word of God highlights about what they saw. What did these men see? Verse 19, her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone. That is what they saw. Their eyes are fixed upon what they serve. Their eyes saw their God. Their attention was fixed upon the idol that reigned within their hearts. They were devoted to gain and they worshipped at the altar of greed. And so that is all that they can see. And notice the tragic irony in their blindness. Their attention was fixed on their hope of gain. But their hope of gain is the fleeting riches of this world. Their hope of gain will end when Christ returns. And while their eyes are fixed on the riches of this world, it keeps them from seeing the true and lasting treasure that is Jesus Christ. They want to gain, but they cannot see him who is the only true gain. Their idol keeps them from seeing the everlasting inheritance that is found in Jesus Christ. It is not wrong to want to gain. But these men are blinded by the riches of this world from seeing what is true and everlasting gain, and that is Jesus Christ. Going back to Luke 4, Jesus in the synagogue reads from Isaiah saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind. Many times in his earthly ministry, Jesus gave physical sight to those who were physically blind so that we might see him as the one who gives spiritual sight to those who are spiritually blind. You may be here this morning and you say, I cannot see Jesus in that way. You cannot see that Jesus is everything. You cannot see that Jesus is the pearl of great price. You cannot see that he is valuable, so valuable that he would be worth the loss of everything that you might gain him. Well, if that is the state of your soul this morning... Believe upon this Jesus as he is revealing himself to you in his word. 
believe upon Jesus as he is saying to you now, I have come that you may recover your sight, spiritually speaking. Seek that Jesus would give you spiritual sight. In Mark 8, Jesus heals a blind man in stages. Remember that story where Jesus heals him initially and he can kind of see. He can partially see. And then Jesus has to heal him again so that he can really see. And there Jesus is teaching us that when we recover our sight, spiritually speaking, we do so in stages. We do so more and more in this life. We can see by faith here. And in the beginning, the Holy Spirit must illuminate our minds so that we can see and believe upon Christ. But listen to 1 Corinthians 13, 11. There it says that we see dimly as in a mirror. Even as we have been given spiritual sight by Christ, we still see dimly as in a mirror, which means we all stand daily in need of Jesus to bless us with that increasing spiritual sight to see Jesus as he is. To see Jesus as everything. To see Jesus as Paul wrote about in Philippians 3 where he says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. When Jesus opens the eyes of the blind, when Jesus gives spiritual sight, those eyes will become captivated by the sight of Jesus Christ. Again, God's word teaches that in this life we still see dimly as in a mirror. And so we ought to seek that more and more daily we might have this kind of sight so that our hearts, our minds, our souls will see Jesus as that pearl of great price. Notice again how the text highlights what the slave owners saw. It was what captured their attention that revealed where their true treasure was. Have your eyes been opened to the captivating beauty of Jesus? Do you see him as lasting treasure, as true riches, as the pearl of great price? Do you see him as he reveals himself here in his word? If there is any degree of difference between what God's word says of Jesus and your own soul's perception of him today, then believe upon Jesus because he is here saying to us by his word that he is the one that came to give recovery of sight to the blind. The owners were blind to Jesus. The crowd followed in their footsteps. They too were blind to Jesus. The magistrates were also blind to Jesus. But because of the sovereign gift of God, Jesus blessed that poor slave girl and she could see where true riches were. And everything changed when she saw Jesus, spiritually speaking. Everything depends upon Jesus. Everything about your life in this world and all of eternity hinges upon him. 
So may we hear the word today and seek that we would have a singular focus, that we too would be captivated by Christ, that we would have such a vision of Jesus by faith that we would be free from all of the idols that this world offers. Again, we see this poor slave girl was unbelievably blessed by Jesus. We see in contrast how her owners were blinded to Jesus. So third and finally, let's consider Paul and Silas. What about them? Well, we see that they were both beaten and bound for Jesus. As we consider the way in which that poor slave girl was blessed by Christ, we could, we might unintentionally form unbiblical and imbalanced expectations for the Christian life. If we are not careful to consider the whole of our text or the whole of our Bibles, we might accidentally, we might accidentally uh, draw wrong conclusions and think that the Christian life being blessed by Christ somehow means a smooth and easy life. Well, that is why Luther says it takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. We need the whole of the scriptures to form our view of this world and our expectations for life in this world as Christians. So in the final four verses of our text today, we see how Paul and Silas were both beaten and bound for Christ. What happens here? First of all, we see that Paul and Silas were misrepresented. God's word states plainly the reality of the situation when it says that the owners saw that their hope of gain was gone. That's the real reason why Paul and Silas are seized and brought before the rulers. But then that is not their stated reason when they go before the magistrates. Instead, when they bring them before the rulers, they say, these men are Jews. They are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. So Paul and Silas are clearly misrepresented. These owners see that their hope of gain is gone, but they can't go and say, listen, we're greedy men, and that's why you should punish these guys. No, they have to make up a different reason. And so they say, listen, these guys are advocating foreign customs. That's why you need to punish them. So they are misrepresented, which leads to, second, their mistreatment. This misleading leads to the crowd joining in and attacking Paul and Silas. The magistrates then have their clothing removed in order that they be beaten with rods. And then finally, Paul and Silas are put into the inner prison and their feet are fastened in the stocks. So Paul and Silas are mistreated. Here they are, servants of the Most High God. Here they are, proclaiming the way of salvation. And yet, they are beaten and they are bound. They are mistreated for the sake of Christ. So why do we need to see and to appreciate this in the Word of God? Well, primarily... We need to see and to appreciate this because what it reveals to us is that Jesus is faithful to his people. Jesus promised his disciples that he would not leave them nor forsake them. And yet he left them here in this world and he ascended on high. Was Jesus faithful to his promise or did he forsake Paul and Silas? We see here 
in the word of God that even though Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, nothing can separate Paul and Silas from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You see, even in the inner prison, even when beaten and bound, even when their feet are fastened in the stocks, what we see is that Jesus draws near and he ministers to Paul and Silas. Thomas Watson quoted Hugh Lattimore. Hugh Lattimore wrote, When sometimes I sit alone and have a settled assurance of the state of my soul and I know that God is my God, I can laugh at all troubles and nothing can daunt me. Quoting Hugh Lattimore, then Watson says, Godliness puts a man into heaven before his time. And that is what we see going on with Paul and Silas here in our text. That is what Jesus is putting before us in his word. He wants you to see this morning that he desires this kind of communion with all of his people. He wants you to see what is available to you in each and every season of life. He wants you to see and to know this kind of communion with Jesus. And see how that communion that Paul and Silas enjoy with Christ, see how it transforms the prison cell. Paul and Silas have been mistreated. They have been beaten. They are bound. They are in a miserable place. It's a dark dungeon. And yet... Even there, they have fellowship with one another. They are able to commune with Christ by prayer and singing the Psalms. And so Paul and Silas, even with their feet still fastened in the stocks, they were lifted, as it were, out of that inner prison right into the throne room of God. And there they experienced the ministering work of Jesus himself. And see how everything hinged upon Paul and Silas's relationship with Christ. Their communion with Jesus changed everything. We don't have time to consider this any more in depth this morning. Lord willing, we'll return next week to consider this in greater detail. But for now, we need to see that even here at this point in our text, before Paul and Silas will be set free, we'll consider that next week, but even right here, Jesus is giving liberty to captives. They are still bound in the prison, but they are free because of communion with Christ. Again in Luke 4, Jesus goes into the synagogue. He reads from the scroll of Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim liberty to the captives. So again, staying right here, stopping at verse 25, stopping short of the fact that Paul and Silas will be set free from that prison, we can still see and appreciate how even in that prison, Paul and Silas knew a freedom that is only found in Jesus. By communing with Jesus in the inner prison, their mistreatment was overcome. It was counterbalanced by that personal ministry of King Jesus. So brothers and sisters, see this morning what is available to each of you by the word of God and in the power of his Holy Spirit. 
See what is available to you each and every single day by fellowship, by prayer, and by singing the psalms. Think upon Paul and Silas in that prison. What did they pray for? Strength? Grace? Help? Who did they pray for? Themselves? The slave girl? The jailer? Other prisoners? Think about which psalms they sung. That's a fun activity to do. Think about all of the various psalms that they could have sung and which ones would have ministered to them most. Actively go and think about that later today. Which psalms did they sing? Which ones ministered to them most? And then think about the way in which they came to know Jesus in a more powerful way. Now notice this. Nothing in their circumstances changed. Right? Nothing actively changed in that moment. While they were praying and singing, nothing actually changed. They still didn't know that they were about to be set free. But by the word of God, by fellowshipping with one another, by going to God in prayer, they watched as God worked together their beatings and their bondage for a greater good than they could have ever imagined. They knew Christ. They knew Jesus, and it made all the difference. While they were suffering for Jesus' sake, they came to know a personal communion with Christ that would have been otherwise unknown to them. Someone once wrote that Jesus is too wise to err and too loving to make his saints cry one unnecessary tear. Well, here we see Jesus orchestrating even the suffering of Paul and Silas to bless them beyond what ordinary circumstances could contain. What are the events of your life? And how is Jesus orchestrating the troubles, the trials of your life to bless you, to bless you with this kind of communion with the living God? Jesus wants you to see this morning that in a very specific sense, you are not bound by your present circumstances. But instead, you have available to you that communion with Jesus Christ that liberates every captive. See how Jesus changes everything. Everything truly depends upon him. See how Jesus can transform even a dark prison cell with his presence through fellowship, prayer, and the singing of psalms. Jesus shows you today how he did so for Paul and Silas so that you will lay hold of this which is yours in Christ in each and every season of life. Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? And do you enjoy this kind of communion with Jesus as he gives liberty to captives? Jesus is here in his word asking us today, who do you say that I am? Because truly everything does depend upon him. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? 
Do you believe that he is proclaiming now good news to the poor? That he is proclaiming liberty to captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and liberty to those who are oppressed? Do you want to be blessed by Jesus? Do you want to know more of his compassion and power? Do you want to recover your sight? Do you want to see Jesus, whether for the first time or afresh? Do you want to know the transforming power of Jesus' presence? Do you want to see Jesus as the pearl of great price? And believe upon Jesus as he is revealing himself right now in his word. Believe that just as Jesus was at the right hand of the Father while Paul and Silas were in prison, he is right now at the right hand of the Father, and he is calling to us today to say, Believe upon me as I am revealing myself to you in my word. So hear him again. Jesus read from the scroll of Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because his spirit has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Truly, everything depends upon Jesus, so believe upon him. Let us pray together. Lord God in heaven, we thank you for your word. And Lord, you have promised us that this word is itself living and active and that it will always accomplish the purpose for which you have set for it. And Lord, we pray that you would bless us by this word. We pray that you would bless us to know you in that kind of communion that we see here in our text. And that we would believe upon you as you have revealed yourself to us in your word. Lord, cause us to see and believe your compassion and your power for sinners. Cause us to stop short when our thoughts tempt us to doubt your compassion and your power. And instead to simply rest and to trust in your word. Lord, we pray that you would cause us to believe that you are the one that gives recovery of sight to the blind. And though we see dimly in this world, we ask that you would give us greater spiritual sight, that we might be captivated by the beauty of you, our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would give us this kind of communion that we see that Paul and Silas enjoyed, even in a prison cell. In a certain sense, so long as we are in this life, we will be bound by the constraints of this world. We will be bound by these sinful bodies. We will be bound by minds that are tainted because of sin. And yet you have united us by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray that you would cause us more and more in this life to recover our sight and to see him as he is. Because your, your word says he changes everything. And so we pray that you would so reveal to us Jesus that we would be captivated by his beauty and all of the allures of the idols of this world would immediately drop away. 
and then we might live to the praise and to the glory of his name. Lord, we ask that you would cause us to be faithful witnesses in this dark world. Very much like a prison cell, we pray that we might be those who are known for our fellowship, for our prayers, and for our communion with Christ in singing the psalms. And in so doing, that we would shine brightly for all of those who are still imprisoned under sin. We ask that you would put these unseen realities on display and glorify your name. Glorify yourself as we pray now in Christ. Amen. Let's turn together in our psalm books now, turning this time to Psalm.